Hello, boys and girls. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Today, I'm going to continue reading our fairy tale about Doctor Doolittle. Are you ready? So let's start. The ninth chapter. Chichi stood outside the doctor's door, keeping everybody away till he woke up. Then John Doolittle told the monkeys that he must now go back to Puddleby. They were very surprised at this, for they had thought that he was going to stay with them forever. And that night, all the monkeys got together in the jungle to talk it over. And the chief chimpanzee rose up and said, "Why is it the good man is going away? Is he not happy here with us?" But none of them could answer him. Then the grand gorilla got up and said. I think we all should go to him and ask him to stay. Perhaps if we make him a new house and a bigger bed, and promise him plenty of monkey servants to work for him and to make life pleasant for him, perhaps then he will not wish to go. Then Chichi got up, and all the other whispered, "Shh, Luke, Chichi, the great traveler is about to speak." And Chichi said to the other monkeys. My friends, I am afraid it is useless to ask the doctor to stay. He owes money in Puddleby, and he says he must go back and pay it. And the monkeys asked him, "What is money?" Then Chichi told them that in the land of the white man, you could get nothing without money. You could do nothing without money. That it was almost impossible to live without money. And some of them asked, "But can you not even eat and drink without paying?" But Chichi shook his head, and then he told them that even he, when he was with organ grinder, had been mean to ask the children for money. And then Chief Chimpanzee turned to the oldest orangutan and said, "Cousin, surely these men be strange creatures. Who would wish to live in such a land? My gracious, how paltry!" Then Chichi said. When we were coming to you, we had no boat to cross the sea in, and no money to buy food to eat on our journey. So a man lent us some biscuits, and we said we would pay him when we came back. And we borrowed a boat from a sailor, but it was broken on the rocks when we reached the shores of Africa. Now the doctor says he must go back and get the sailor another boat, because the man was poor and his ship was all he had. And the monkeys were all silent for a while, sitting quiet, still up on the ground and thinking hard. At last, the biggest baboon got up and said, "I don't think we ought to let this good man leave our land till we have given him a fine present to take with him, so that he may know we are grateful for all that he has done for us." And a little tiny red monkey who was sitting up in a tree shouted down, "I think that too." And then they all cried out, making a great noise. Yes, yes, let us give him the finest present a white man ever had. Now they began to wonder and ask one another what would be the best thing to give him. And one said fifty bags of coconuts, and another a hundred bunches of bananas. At least he shall not have to buy his fruit in the land where you pay to eat. Chichi told them that all these things would be too heavy to carry so far, and would go bad before half was eaten. If you want to please him, he said, "Give him an animal. You may be sure he will be kind to it. Give him some rare animal that haven't got in the menageries." 
and the monkeys ask him, what are menageries? Then Chichi explained to them that menageries were places in the land of the white man where animals were put in cages for people to come and look at, and the monkeys were very shocked and said to one another, These men are like thoughtless young ones, stupid and easily amused. Shh, it is a prison, he means. So then they asked Chichi what rare animal it could be that they should give to the doctor, one the white man hadn't seen before. The major of the marmosets asked, Have they an iguana over there? But Chichi said, Yes, there is one in the London Zoo. And another asked, Have they an okapi? But Chichi said, Yes, in Belgium, where my organ grinder took me five years ago, they had an okapi in a big city they call Antwerp. And another asked, Have they a pushmi polio? Then Chichi said, No, no white man has ever seen a pushmi polio. Let us give him that. The tenth chapter. Pushmipulis are now extinct, that means they aren't anymore. But long ago, when Dr. Doolittle was alive, there were some of them still left in the deepest jungles of Africa, and even then they were very, very scarce. They had no tail but a hat at each end and sharp horns on each head. They were very shy and terribly hard to catch. The black men get most of their animals by sneaking up behind them while they're not looking, but he couldn't do this with the pushmi-pulli, because no matter which way you came towards him, he was always facing you, and besides, only one half of him slept at a time. The other head was always awake and watching. This was why they were never caught and never seen in this. Though many of the greatest huntsmen and the cleverest manager keepers spend years of their lives searching through the jungles in all weathers for a pushmipolis, not a single one had ever been caught. Even then, years ago, he was the only animal in the world with two heads. Well, the monkeys set out hunting for this animal through the forest, and after they had gone a good many miles, one of them found peculiar footprints near the edge of a river, and they knew that a pushmi-pulli must be very near that spot. Then they went along the bend of the river a little way, and they saw a place where the grass was high and thick, and they guessed that he wasn't there. So they all joined hands and made a great circle around the high grass. The pushmi-pulli heard them coming, and he tried hard to break through the ring of the monkeys, but he couldn't do it. When he saw that it was no use trying to escape, he sat down and waited to see what they wanted. They asked him if he would go with Dr. Doolittle and be put on show in the land of the white man. But he shook both his hats hard and said, Certainly not! They explained to him that he wouldn't be shut up in a managery, but would just be looked at. They told him that the doctor was a very kind man, but hadn't any money, and people would pay to see a two-headed animal, and the doctor would get rich and could pay for the boat he had borrowed to come to Africa in. But he answered, no, you know how shy I am, I hate being stared at, and he almost began to cry. Then, for three days, they tried to persuade him. And at the end of the third day, he said he would come with them and see what kind of a man the doctor was first. 
So the monkeys traveled back with the Pushmi Puli, and when they came to where the doctor's little house of grass was, they knocked on the door. The duck who was picking the trunk said, Come in! And Chichi very proudly took the animal inside and showed him to the doctor. What in the world is it? asked John Doolittle, gazing at the strange creature. Lord save us, cried the duck, how does it make up its mind? It doesn't look to me as though it had any, said Jeep the dog. This doctor, said Chichi, is the Pushmipuli, the rarest animal of the African jungles, the only two-headed beast in the world. Take him home with you, and your fortune's made. People will pay any money to see him. But I don't want any money, said the doctor. Yes, you do, said Dab-Dab the duck. Don't you remember how we had to pinch and scare to pay the butcher's bill in Puddleby? And how are you going to get the sailor the new boat you spoke of unless we have the money to buy it? I... I was going to make him one, said the doctor. How oh, do be sensible, cried Dab-Dab. Where would you get all the wood and the nails to make one with? And besides, what are we going to live on? We shall be poorer than ever when we get back. Chichi's perfectly right. Take the funny-looking thing along, do. Well, perhaps there is something in what you say, murmured the doctor. It certainly would make a nice new kind of pad, but does the, uh, what do you call it, really want to go abroad? Yes, I'll go, said the Pushmipuli, who saw at once from the doctor's face that he was a man to be trusted. You have been so kind to the animals here, and the monkeys tell me that I'm the only one who will do. But you must promise me that if I do not like it, in the land of the white man, you will send me back. Why, certainly, of course, of course, said the doctor. Excuse me, surely you are related to the deer family? Are you not? Yes, said the Pushmipuli, to the Abyssinian gazelles and the Asiatic chameau on my mother's side. My father's great-grandfather was the last of the unicorns. Most interesting, murmured the doctor, and he took a book out of the trunk which Dab-Dab was packing and began turning the pages. Let us see if Buffin says anything. I notice, said the duck, that you only talk with one of your mouths. Can the other head talk as well? Oh, yes, said the Pushmipuli, but I keep the other mouth for eating mostly. In that way I can talk while I am eating without being rude. Our people have always been very polite. When the packing was finished and everything was ready to start, the monkeys gave a grand party for the doctor and all the animals of the jungle came, and they had pineapples and mangoes and honey and all sorts of good things to eat and drink. After they had all finished eating, the doctor got up and said, My friends, I'm not clever at speaking long words after dinner like some man, and I have just eaten many fruits and much honey, but I wish to tell you that I'm very sad at leaving your beautiful country, because I have things to do in the land of the white man, I must go. After I have gone, remember, never to let the fly settle on your food before you eat it, and do not sleep on the ground when the rains are coming. I, um... Uh, I hope you will all live happily ever after.
When the doctor stopped speaking and sat down, all the monkeys clapped their hands a long time and said to one another, Let it be remembered always among our people that he sat and ate with us here under the trees, for surely he is the greatest of men. And the grand gorilla, who had the strength of seven horses in his hairy arms, rolled a great rock up to the head of the table and said, This stone for all time shall mark the spot. And even to this day, in the heart of the jungle, that stone is still there, and monkey mothers passing through the forest with their families still point down at it from the branches and whisper to their children, There it is, Luke, where the good white man sat and ate food with us in the year of the great sickness. Then, when the party was over, the doctor and his pet started out to go back to the seashore, and all the monkeys went with him as far as the edge of their country, carrying his trunk and bags to see him off. The Eleventh Chapter By the edge of the river they stopped and said farewell. This took a long time, because all those thousands of monkeys wanted to shake John Doolittle by the hand. Afterwards, when the doctor and his pets were going on alone, Polynesia said, We must treat softly and talk low as we go through the land of the Juliginki. If the king should hear us, he will send his soldiers to catch us again, for I am sure he is still very angry over the trick I played on him. What I am wondering, said the doctor, is where we are going to get another boat to go home in. How oh, well, perhaps we'll find one lying about on the beach that nobody's using. Never lift your foot till you come to the stile. One day, while they were passing through a very thick part of the forest, Chichi went ahead of them to look for coconuts, and while he was away, the doctor and the rest of the animals, who didn't know the jungle path so well, got lost in the deep woods. They wandered around and around, but couldn't find their way down to the seashore. Chichi, when he couldn't see them anywhere, was terribly upset. He climbed high trees and looked out from the top branches to try to see the doctor's high head. He waved and shouted. He called to all the animals by name. But it was no use. They seemed to have disappeared altogether. Indeed, they had lost their way very badly. They had strayed a long way off the path, and the jungle was so thick with bushes and creepers and vines that sometimes they could hardly move at all, and the doctor had to take out his pocket knife and cut his way along. They stumbled into wet, boggy places. They got all tangled up in thick, convolvulous runners. They scratched themselves on thorns, and twice they nearly lost the medicine bag in the underbrush. There seemed no end to their troubles, and nowhere could they come up in a path. At last, after blundering about like this for many days, getting their clothes thorns and their faces covered with mud, they walked right into the king's back garden by mistake. The king's men came running up at once and caught them. But Polynesia flew into a tree in the garden without anybody seeing her, and hid herself. The doctor and the rest were taken before the king. Ha ha! cried the king. So you are caught again. This time you shall not escape. Take them all back to prison and put double locks on the door. This white man shall scrub my kitchen floor for the rest of his life. 
So the doctor and his pets were led back to prison and locked up, and the doctor was told that in the morning he must begin scrubbing the kitchen floor. They were all very unhappy. This is a great nuisance, said the doctor. I really must get back to Puddleby. That poor sailor will think I've stolen his ship if I don't get home soon. I wonder if those hangers are loose. But the door was very strong and firmly locked. There seemed no chance of getting out. Then Gabgab began to cry again. All this time Polynesia was still sitting in the tree in the palace garden. She was seeing nothing and blinking her eyes. This was always a very bad sign with Polynesia. Whenever she said nothing and blinked her eyes, it meant that somebody had been making trouble and she was thinking out some way to put things right. People who made trouble for Polynesia or her friends were nearly always sorry for it afterwards. Presently, she spied Chi-Chi swinging through the tree, still looking for the doctor. When Chi-Chi saw her, he came into her tree and asked her what had become of him. The doctor and all the animals have been caught by the king's man and locked up again, whispered Polynesia. We lost our way in the jungle and blundered into the palace garden by mistake. But couldn't you guide them? asked Chi-Chi, and he began to scold the parrot for letting them get lost while he was away looking for the coconuts. It was all that stupid pig's fault, said Polynesia. He would keep running off the path, hunting for ginger roots, and I was kept so busy catching him and bringing his back that I turned to the left, instead of the right, when we reached the swamp. Shh, Luke, there's Prince Bumper coming into the garden. He mustn't see us. Don't move, whatever you do. And there, sure enough, was Prince Bumper, the king's son, opening the garden gate. He carried a book of fairy tales under his arm. He came strolling down the gravel walk, humming a sad song, till he reached a stone seat right under the tree where the parrot and the monkey were hiding. Then he lay down on the seat and began reading the fairy stories to himself. Chi-Chi and Polynesia watched him, keeping very quiet and still. After a while, the king's son laid the book down and sighed a very sigh. If I were only a white prince, said he with a dreamy, faraway look in his eyes. Then the parrot, talking in a small, high voice like a little girl, said aloud, Bumper, someone might turn tree into a white prince, perchance. The king's son started up off the seat and looked all around. What is this I hear? he cried. Methought the sweet music of a fairy silver voice rang from the yonder bower. Strange. Worthy prince, said Polynesia, keeping very still so Bumpa couldn't see her. Thou sayest winged words of truth, for tis I, Tripsa Tinka, the queen of the fairies that speak to thee. I'm hiding in a rosebud. Oh, tell me, fairy queen, cried Bumpa, clasping his hands in joy, who is it can turn me white? In thy father's prison, said the parrot, there lies a famous wizard, John Doolittle by name. Many things he knows of medicine and magic, and mighty deeds has he performed. Yet thy kingly father leaves him languishing long and lingering hours. 
Go to him, brave Bumper, secretly when the sun has set, and behold, thou shalt be made the whitest prince with ever one fair lady. I have said enough. I must now go back to Fairland. Farewell. Farewell, cried the prince. A thousand thanks, good trips, Hitinka. And he sat down on the seat again with a smile up on his face, waiting for the sun to set. The twelfth chapter. Very, very quietly, making sure that no one should see her, Polynesian then slipped out at the back of the tree and flew across to the prison. She found Gub-Gub poking his nose through the bars of the window, trying to sniff the cooking smells that came from the palace kitchen. She told the pink to bring the doctor to the window because she wanted to speak to him. So Gub-Gub went and woke the doctor who was taking a nap. Listen, whispered the parrot when John Doolittle's face appeared. Prince Bumpy is coming here tonight to see you, and you've got to find some way to turn him white. But be sure to make him promise you first that he will open the prison door and find a ship for you to cross the sea in. This is all very well, said the doctor, but it isn't so easy to turn a black man white. You speak as though he were addressed to be redyed. It's not so simple. Shall the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian his skin, you know? I don't know anything about that, said Polynesia impatiently, but you must turn this coon white. Think of a way. Think hard. You've got plenty of medicines left in the bag. He'll do anything for you if you change his color. It is your only chance to get out of prison. Well, I suppose it might be possible, said the doctor. Let me see. And he went over to his medicine bag, murmuring something about liberated chlorine on animal pigment, perhaps zinc ointment as a temporary measure sprayed thick. Well, that night Prince Bumper came secretly to the doctor in prison and said to him, White man, I am an unhappy prince. Years ago I went in search of the sleeping beauty whom I had read of in a book, and having traveled through the world many days, I at last found her and kissed the lady very gently to awaken her, as the book said I should. Tis true indeed that she awoke, but when she saw my face she cried out, Oh, he's black, and she ran away and wouldn't marry me, but went to sleep again somewhere else. So I came back, full of sadness, to my father's kingdom. Now I hear that you are a wonderful magician and have many powerful potions, so I come to you for help. If you will turn me white, so then I may go back to the sleeping beauty, I will give you half of my kingdom and anything besides you ask. Prince Pampam said the doctor, looking thoughtfully at the bottles on his medicine bag. Supposing I made your hair a nice blonde color, wouldn't that do instead to make you happy? No, said Bumpa, nothing else will satisfy me. I must be a white prince. You know, it is very hard to change the color of a prince, said the doctor. One of the hardest things a magician can do. You only want your face white, do you not? Yes, that is all, said Bumpa, because I shall wear shining armor and gauntlets of steel like the other white princes and ride on a horse. Must your face be white all over? asked the doctor. Yes, all over, said Bumpa, and I would like my eyes blue too, but I suppose that would be very hard to do. 
Yes, it would, said the doctor quickly. Well, I will do what I can for you. You will have to be very patient, though. You know, with some medicines, you can never be very sure. I might have to try two or three times. You have a strong skin, yes? Well, that's all right. Now come over here by the light. Oh, but before I do anything, you must first go down to the beach and get a ship ready with food in it to take me across the sea. Do not speak a word of this to anyone, and when I have done as you ask, you must let me and all my animals out of prison, promised by the crown of Jilaginki. So the prince promised and went away to get a ship ready at the seashore. When he came back and said that it was done, the doctor asked Deb-Deb to bring a basin. Then he missed a lot of medicines in the basin and told Bumper to dip his face in it. The prince laid down and put his face in, right up to the ears. He held it there a long time, so long that the doctor seemed to get dreadfully anxious and fidgety, standing first on one leg and then on another, looking at all the bottles he had used for the mixture and reading the labels on them again and again. A strong smell filled the prison like the smell of brown paper burning. At last the prince lifted his face up out of the basin, breathing very hard, and all the animals cried out in surprise. For the prince's face had turned as white as snow, and his eyes, which had been mud-colored, were immensely gray. When John Doolittle let him a little looking-glass to see himself in, he sang for joy and began dancing around the prison, but the doctor asked him not to make so much noise about it, and when he had closed his medicine bag in a hurry, he told him to open the prison door. Bumper begged that he might keep the looking-glass, as it was the only one in the kingdom of Jolaginki, and he wanted to look at himself all day long, but the doctor said he needed it to shave with. Then the prince, taking a bunch of copper case from his pocket, undid the grey double locks, and the doctor, with all his animals, ran as fast as they could down to the seashore, while Bumper leaned against the wall of the empty dungeon, smiling after them happily, his big face shining like polished tivory in the light of the moon. When they came to the beach, they saw Polynesia and Chi-Chi waiting for them on the rocks near the ship. I feel sorry about Bumper, said the doctor. I am afraid that medicine I used will never last. Most likely he will be as black as ever when he wakes up in the morning. That's one reason why I didn't like to leave the mirror with him. But then again, he might stay white. I had never used that mixture before. To tell the truth, I was surprised myself that it worked so well. But I had to do something, didn't I? I couldn't possibly scrub the king's kitchen for the rest of my life. It was such a dirty kitchen. I could see it from the prison window. Well, well, poor Bumper. Oh, of course he will know we were just joking with him, said the parrot. They had no business to lock us up, said Dab-Dab, waggling her tail angrily. We never did them any harm. Serve him right if he does turn black again. I hope it's a dark black. But he didn't have anything to do with it, said the doctor. It was the king, his father, who had us locked up. It wasn't Bumpus' fault. I wonder if I ought to go back and apologize. Oh, well, I'll send him some candy when I get to Puddleby, and who knows, he must stay white after all. The Sleeping Beauty would never have him, even if he did, said Dab-Dab. He looked better the way he was, I thought, but he'd never be anything but ugly, no matter what color he was made.
Still, he had a good heart, said the doctor. Romantic, of course, but a good heart. After all, handsome as, as handsome does. I don't believe the poor booby found the sleeping beauty at all, said Jeep the dog. Most likely he kissed some farmer's fat wife who was taking a snooze under an apple tree. Can't blame her for getting scared. I wonder who he'll go and kiss this time. Silly business. Then the pushmi-pulli, the white mouse, gab-gab, dab-dab, Jeep and the owl Tutu went onto the sheep with the doctor, but Chichi, Polynesia and the crocodile stayed behind because Africa was their proper home, that the land where they were born. And when the doctor stood up in the boat, he looked over the side across the water, and then he remembered that they had no one with them to guide them back to Paddle Bay. The wide, white sea looked terribly big and lonesome in the moonlight, and he began to wonder if they would lose their way when they passed out of sight of land. But even while he was wondering, they heard a strange whispering noise high in the air coming through the night, and the animals all stopped saying goodbye and listened. The noise grew louder and bigger, it seemed to be coming nearer to them, a sound like the autumn wind blowing through the leaves of a poplar tree, or a great great rain beating down up in a roof. And Jeep, with his nose pointing his tail quite straight, said, Birds, millions of them, flying fast, that's it. And then they all looked up, and there, streaming across the face of the moon like a huge swarm of tiny ants, they could see thousands and thousands of little birds. Soon the whole sky seemed full of them, and still more kept coming, more and more. There were so many that for a little they covered the whole moon so it couldn't shine, and the sea grew dark and black like when a storm cloud passes over the sun. And presently all these birds came down close, skimming over the water and the land, and the night sky was left clear above, and the moon shone as before. Still never a call, nor a cry, nor a song they made, no sound but this great rustling of feathers which grew greater now than ever. When they began to settle on the sands, along the ropes of the sheep, anywhere and everywhere except the trees, the doctor could see that they had blue wings and white breasts and very short feathered legs. As soon as they had all found a place to sit, suddenly there was no noise left anywhere. All was quiet, all was still. And in the silent moonlight John Doolittle spoke. I had no idea that we had been in Africa so long. It will be nearly summer when we get home, for these are the swallows going back. Swallows, I thank you for waiting for us. It is very thoughtful of you. Now we need not be afraid that we will lose our way up in the sea. Pull up the anchor and set the sail. When the ship moved out up in the water, those who stayed behind, Chichi, Polynesia, and the crocodile, grew terribly sad, for never in their lives had they known anyone they liked so well as Dr. John Doolittle of Puddleby on the marsh. And after they had called goodbye to him again and again and again, they still stood there up in the rocks, crying bitterly and waving till the ship was out of sight.